0: Hey, we just wanted to take a minute to thank you for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that you're enjoying the podcast, and we love hearing from you.
1: Yes, I've loved making this podcast with you, Lee. When we started doing this, I had no idea how to use a mixer or how to edit. And now that we've been doing this for over a year, I still don't know how to use a mixer or how to edit. I might even know less than when we started.
0: Well, at least you can say you certainly know a lot more about Northern Exposure. And we hope the listeners out there have gained something, too. Anyway, if you like to listen to us ramble on about the minute details and the big ideas, you know, the, the color of Joel's shirt or obscure trivia like Anwar, then you should consider subscribing to our brand new Patreon page.
1: Yes, once a month we'll be posting an exclusive bonus episode about movies and television shows and themes related to Northern Exposure on the Patreon.
0: We've already got this month's bonus episode available on our Patreon page. We cover the directorial debut of Rob Morrow, you know, Dr. Fleischman. It's the film Maze from the year 2000.
1: And since this is the very first time we've started a Patreon, we wanted to throw in a little incentive to get the ball rolling. When you become a patron, we're going to mail you a custom-made postcard designed by Laser Kitties, who designed our podcast artwork. And these postcards look incredible. They have this nostalgic feeling you got when you visited those mom-and-pop gas station stores your parents stopped at on the family vacation road trip. (laughs) You go inside and grab a bag of combos, pizza flavor, of course, and vanilla Coke and look at the rack with postcards that read Greetings from Little Rock in those big block letterings. But these postcards will be about Sicily, Alaska and all things Northern Exposure.
0: Yeah, we're going to write you a message or doodle something on the back, something unique for every postcard. We've even got a bonus tier for the first 50 patrons. You can get the maze bonus episode and a postcard from us for just $1.
1: Just $1?
0: Just $1. We love making the podcast, but it takes up a long part of our weeks to record, research, and then edit it all down. But that's not going to stop us. We are dedicated to Northern Exposure and to the fans of the show. If you want to help us out and support the podcast, we'll take all the help we can get. We just want to make sure you get a little something extra for being there along the way please check out our Patreon page, that's patreon.com slash Northern Overexposure Podcast and become a patron today. did you get hit in the head or something? not have seen the exquisiteness of this place before suddenly it's like i'm seeing beyond the shadows beyond the visual spectrum and what do i see i see i see things i i never appreciated before the the, the essences of sicily nature and balance truth (laughs) i love
2: this place
1: lee are you familiar with the television series hercules the legendary journeys Mm, isn't that like the 90s Hercules show? Yeah, the one with Kevin Sorbo. Oh, wait. Yeah, so in this television show, there's an infamous scene where Hercules, played by Kevin Sorbo, gets transported to like an alternate dimension. And he looks around and he's like, wait, this isn't the place where I'm meant to be. Disappointed! <laughs> <laughs> Disappointed! that when Joel screams i love this place that's all i can that's all i can think of <laughs> yeah
0: it's a de- very deliberate delivery um of that line it's hilarious i you know just hearing him belt it out and this is just so opposite of what we would expect from Joel
1: yes joel's got like I don't know what to call it. Like the zoomies, like the human equivalent to zoomies right here. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, I think they they refer to it throughout the episode as like light, your light loony or – yeah, it's –
1: Okay, Charles, what are we talking about? Okay, okay, okay. This is what we're talking about. This is a Northern Overexposure podcast where we overanalyze all things Northern Exposure. And this week, we'll be talking about Northern Exposure Season 4, Episode 2.
0: The episode is called Midnight Sun, and that's, I guess, what is fueling Dr. Fleischman throughout this episode. Um, My name is Lee. I've seen the show quite a few times, and I'm always joined by my co-host, Charles.
1: Yes, I've never seen this show before. This is my first time watching it. So we're now dipping into new territory in season four. And I gotta say, I thought this episode was okay.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fun. Again, like I said already, it's really, it's just hilarious to see Joel, you know, Rob Morrow acting so off character. You know, I bet he's having a lot of fun switching things up. I think I remember reading in the Northern Exposure book uh, some interviews with Rob Morrow, who plays Joel Fleischman, talking about how he just enjoys anything, doing anything new, and the show often does a lot of very odd things. He he talks about sort of getting into like stuck in a certain rhythm because it's the same characters every week. You know, working on a show, uh, a, a serial show like this one.
1: Well, despite Joel going into new territory for his character, it kind of falls on familiar sitcom tropes because Joel becomes the new basketball coach of Sicily. Yes. What uh, what what kind of sitcoms does that remind you of? That reminds me of, like, this happens all the time in those old sitcoms where an established character is just like, oh, I can coach this... Uh, youth group on baseball or football or soccer or whatever. And it's just like one episode and they learn more from the kids and the kids learn from him.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, like when a character is forced into a new role or something, but it's just like, it's just for one episode and then return to the status quo.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why I thought it was so strange that Northern Exposure would fall into this, you know, very familiar sitcom trope.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, it's not immune to uh, the trappings of the sitcom, Uh, but, you know, hopefully we can, uh, as we dive through this episode, we can, you know, point out how maybe it's elevated or rises above just this traditional format. Um, Let's start with the air date, October 5th, 1992, and the credits. This is um, something interesting on Wikipedia. uh, Michael Cattleman is credited as the director, but also the writer Um, However, obviously, if you watch the episode, the writer on screen is credited Jeffrey Nair. Who I don't think he's written for this show yet, though. I think he gets another credit uh, later on in this season, maybe next. But um, but yeah. So if you know anyone, uh, I guess we could do this. You could go to Wikipedia now and edit it and and fix it, right? How how does that
1: work? Uh, I think you have to have a membership first of all. Like you have to be a user, and then you just click the edit button. I've never edited anything on Wikipedia, but it. I've been told that it's for the people, and we are the people, so we should be able to edit it. Let's
0: see. I'm clicking edit. Now, it looks like a lot of code. Um, I'll come back to this.
1: Okay, so this episode starts off with Joel kind of obsessively cleaning everything. Like, he's in a manic mood right now, and it turns out that it's actually only 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, there's no patients to see. He just hasn't gotten any sleep.
0: Yeah, he's just, like, way too active. It's like It's almost like he took speed or just drank way too many cups of coffee. Um, you're right. Things are very slow. Marilyn comes in, and he's, he just wants to know, like, what, what's going on. We're not open yet.
1: It's not open yet? How can that be? What time is it? Eight. In the morning?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Wait a minute. It's tomorrow?
0: Uh-huh. It's
1: amazing. I, I missed last night.
0: There wasn't any.
1: There wasn't?
2: The midnight sun.
1: Of course, right. No sunset. This actually falls in line with the actual date of the episode because as we go toward the fall and winter season, the days actually become shorter. So we're going to approach the winter solstice, which is where the day is at its shortest.
0: Nice. So it's like the show is like in sync with when people are actually watching the show. Like, you know, October, if you were in Alaska at the time, I guess we could say it's in real time. Isn't that, has the show really followed a strict chronology
1: kind of like that? Um, a little bit, because last season there was a Halloween episode and it was right. around the time of October.
0: Yeah, that's right. And they had sort of like the Raven Festival, sort of in the wintertime.
1: Okay, so next we see a basketball just rolling through town and then just kind of just traverses the entire countryside and conveniently ends up in Ed's hands.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool sort of opening montage as we're like walking around in town. I got to say there's a lot of really great background extras and just like background movement in this entire episode. Lots of things happening like cars, people moving, you know, dogs uh, as always. And yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little visual sort of image to tie together the different things that are happening throughout Sicily, this basketball bouncing around and finally uh, falling into the hands of
1: Ed. So it turns out that Sicily has a basketball team, though right, from what yeah. I'm able to see on this episode, they play one game a year. That's right.
0: It's been a—I haven't seen this episode in a in a week or so, but yeah, because they're they're like gaming up, they're practicing for this big game. Uh, and there is a scene where they watch like the game that they played last year. I guess it's once a year,
1: yeah, and they're also named the quarks, which I gotta say is probably from Chris's. I own, was gonna say, know. yeah, who
0: named who named this team? Probably <laughs> Chris Stevens.
1: But yeah, so we we'll get
0: to it, but Joel eventually finds himself, uh, you know, becoming the the coach to this team, the Sicily quarks, the Sicilian quarks, I think they call it. You know, the soundbat that we played at the beginning of this episode um, is kind of where we're at now in the chronology. Uh, I forgot to mention, I had this written down. Joel is kind of scary. Like, he's chewing gum and just way too, like, jacked up on this midnight sun.
1: Yeah, I read somewhere that if you go without sleep for about 24 hours – maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, ballpark figure, you actually have the equivalency of being drunk, like just being smacked. Like your brain is in that same state.
0: Yeah, I heard – well, like, you know, you get like a second wind, so you get like a boost of energy. But no, I heard like, yeah, there's something – you know, obviously sleep replenishes, like kind of like cleans your brain, almost like wipes it clean. Uh, I don't know if that's a great – description of, of what is happening, but it, it sort of, like, replenishes you, rejuvenates you, so you're not in this intoxicated, maybe, state that you're describing, Charles?
1: Yeah, he's kind of just going all around just bonkers throughout this episode.
0: I like... I thought it was really funny how he pivots so quickly. He's talking to Maggie in that, in that soundbite that we played, and just, like, the very last... Just a, almost non-sequitur. The very last little button is... Uh, would you like to have sex with me? (laughs) You know? And she's just like, no. Like, you know, it's like there's no shame to Joel now. Like, I guess he's lost his uh, self-consciousness too. It's just so direct and so, I don't know, electrified or something.
1: Now, I've never seen this show before, so every single time I watch an episode, it's new and fresh in my mind. But- doesn't this plotline sound familiar to another previous episode's plotline, like where a strange anomaly comes through the town and everyone starts acting out of character?
0: Yeah, this is like reminding me a lot of, I actually, I think I got this just looking at the titles when I was looking over the episodes at the beginning of the podcast. I was getting this episode confused with the one with like when everyone, uh, it's like the moon, right? Is it, uh, what's the episode with the moon? Isn't that, isn't that that you're yeah, mentioning? Yeah,
1: that's the one. That's the one. It gives them like moon madness or something. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, their state of minds are changed. So I guess it's just flipped. The moon, flipped. the sun, yeah, it's, it's flipped. Hey, quick punch in. There's a
0: few episodes of Northern Exposure that we've already covered that feature the moon and madness. I believe the episodes that Charles and I were thinking about right here, the ones worth mentioning are Season 1, Episode 8, Aurora Borealis, Season 2, Episode 5, Spring Break, and Season 3, Episode 12, Our Tribe. I, I do like the episodes where it kind of, some effect happens to, like the effect sort of covers the entire townsfolk. Like, you know, like the Russian flu episode when everyone gets sick. Um, there's a lot of episodes like that where it's maybe a seasonal thing or it's something that really envelops or covers over the whole, the whole cast.
1: I like that too, but I wish they would actually use the same one. So it'd be really neat if they did Moon Madness again for this one and the cast or like the characters understood or at least joel understood because this is not his first time through it so then you can play off of those similar themes but then see how the characters grew from within that year i kind of wish they would have done that rather than introduce like a new seasonal disorder so now It just feels rehashed rather than original.
0: Uh, Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, kind of developing uh, on on something. But I guess new is better than old. So, you know, if they did another episode, it's like a sequel in a way. Um, Maybe it was just less exciting for the showrunners when they were choosing scripts or pitching ideas. Uh, Because we haven't really talked about how at such a high latitude, yeah, at, at higher latitudes, that this phenomenon occurs. Like, you know, like there's not going to be a sunset or night for a certain period of time. I don't know how long it lasts in this show. I don't know if they say the duration of it, but they just hint at that. You know, it's been days without, without night.
1: Right. And it doesn't seem to only affect Joel. It seems to affect everybody. But particularly in this episode, it affects Hauling a lot. Though that's right. kind of debatable because it's not – I'm not entirely too sure – if
0: if it's the it sun is. or if it's just the way that the outfit, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: well, let's get to that in a sec. Uh, Joel certainly seems to be suffering, it's hitting him particularly hard because it's his. They, a lot of people will say this is like his first year, so I think Chris or someone, maybe Maurice, is talking to Joel and they're saying, You know, don't let it fool you, this is you, this is the first time, but you know, you'll get wait, wait, over wait, wait, wait. it. Yeah, go
1: ahead. No, 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 they say that. It might not happen in the first year or even oh. the second, but eventually you're gonna get it,
0: yeah, yeah, sorry. it's been a you you've probably seen this episode a, a bit uh more recently than I have, but uh I've got my trusty notes um <laughs> maybe you can help me. I'm looking at my notes. I don't understand what is a checkerberry? I think Ruth Ann says something about checkerberries,
1: yeah, uh she. Made some cookies though. I thought the cookies were oatmeal cookies. I'm trying to remember where she did. Hang on, let me watch. It, it
0: might episode. be you know like oatmeal raisin, but oatmeal checkerberry. I think she puts the checkerberries in the.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, no. She did have oatmeal cookies, but she put checkerberries into it. And uh-huh. I've never heard of checkerberries, but apparently they're used for medicinal purposes uh, in some Native American tribes.
0: Yeah, I was kind of looking at the Wikipedia article. Checkerberry, also known as the American wintergreen. Galtheria Procumbens would be the uh, binomial nomenclature. Mm. Anyway, the cookies with the checkerberries and then the oatmeal cookies, Ruth Ann is offering to a Gillis Toomey, played by uh, Jim Haney. Gillis Toomey, or I guess they just call him Toomey, right? Uh, He is a traveling salesman that has arrived, I guess, returning to Sicily.
1: Yeah, so this isn't his first time visiting Sicily, because even Maggie recognizes him. And I gotta say, I like the idea of this traveling salesman that's just going through selling what appears to be only clothes. Like, yeah. I don't think he sells anything else.
0: Yeah, I think he's just sort of like he picks up secondhand clothes, or he buys clothes from different stores and and brings it to Sicily and just travels into different places and kind of sets up his. Uh, it's pretty cool. Like you, you, we see in this episode they walk behind Ruth Ann's store. I don't think we've ever really seen behind Ruth Ann's store before in the series. Uh, And again, great background extras. There's like a cyclist biking down the path as they're walking around to the back of the store. Really great shots, uh, movement and and, uh, just background action. Uh, But Gillis has like his like trailer like shop, I guess, set up back there. It's pretty cool.
1: Okay, so if I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into symbolic meeting right here, I think that Gillis sewing clothes is kind of interesting because he's a traveler by heart, and he always has to be in new locations. He can't stand still, according to Ruthann. So clothing, especially when you buy new clothing, it kind of changes your appearance every single time. Like, you, you don't just wear the same outfit every single time. If you want to be a little bit more courageous, you might wear something that has a little bit more color or is a little bit more flashy. And this guy kind of does that. Like he'll sell new clothing to other people that just need a little bit more variety in their life. So he's kind of following his own profession to heart.
0: Like you're saying he's traveling to new places, new experiences, and trying to maybe share his experience of, of new things, I guess, with people, you know, new looks, new fashions
1: yeah so he's kind of like introducing a new outlook on people through the tools of clothing.
0: Clothing is sort of like the externalization of the his philosophy, like the idea, so it's like a visual representation of uh what you're getting at. I love that, yeah, like the idea that the traveling salesman is always reinventing themselves, perhaps ooh, that's good yeah but uh but yeah, I think you were saying earlier, you know, I, I like this character to me uh i I like the actor, I like his performance here, um, sort of, how would you describe this? Sort of like calm, soothing. He, he, he pretends to be like a salesman, but he doesn't really like trick anybody. And even when he is tricking them, they're like, oh, you know, I know what you're, I know what you're trying, you're trying to work on me. You're like salesman tactics, but, but they want it, you know, they appreciate it. They um, invite it, you know, whenever he tries to talk them into a sale.
1: Yeah. He's like an honest salesman because he knows what the other person wants but he's also going to respect their wishes on what they themselves want. So, for example, Joel wants a new double-breasted blazer, I believe. Yeah. And he knows the exact one that he wants. He just needs the size from Joel. But he also picks out a great pink dress for Ruth Ann and he waits for Ruth Ann to choose it for herself.
0: Oh, wait, I forgot. So he picks out this dress, but he does he doesn't present it to her. How does that work?
1: Yeah, I think that they're in the river when they're talking about this. And he's saying, like, oh, do you know what you would like to pick out? And she says, like, I think the pink dress is what I'll end up with. And he's like, Oh, excellent. Like, that's what I that's what I thought would look good on you.
0: Oh, right. Like he had whenever he was traveling, he found this dress and, you know, saved it and brought it to Sicily. Uh yeah, I like the scenes. With Toomey and with you know the scene with Joel, uh, they have a quick discussion about the sort of what do you think's going on with me, the light loony, you know, Um, and the scene with Maggie. Everyone seems to be very comfortable with Toomey, like he's sort of like an old friend. I I don't know what differentiates it's it's very similar to sort of the episode War and Peace when Nikolai comes to visit them, except I think the introduction of Nikolai was a little more just like ham-fisted, like everyone's like, Nikolai's here. Oh my God, it's so exciting. And Joel's like, who, what are you talking about? Who, what? Um, but in this episode, we're supposed to, it's sort of expository where we're supposed to understand that everyone's like, oh, look, it's Toomey, he's back. But it, it didn't feel as ham-fisted for some reason uh, with, no, with No, no, Toomey. no,
1: no. I, I completely agree. I think that they handled this one much more better. Yeah. And it's much more realistic I also get the impression that Nikolai visited, like, once every, I don't know, few years. Like, it could be a large span of time, whereas Tumi returns at least once a year. It looks quite frequent.
0: Right. Well, let's see. Who else does Toomey talk to in this episode? Maurice is, I guess, buying a new suit or new clothes, and they have a quick discussion. Uh, you know, Maurice proposes a business idea uh, using the Midnight Sun— to treat depression because, you know, he he feels like, I guess, Joel Fleischman is sort of the poster child, uh, the perfect example of someone who is a malcontent, I think he calls Joel. And uh, he says, you know, if you can get him in the sun, bring him up here, they will be, uh, you know, just uh, light therapy, I think is what Toomey calls it. You know, they'll just be like, it'll fix them.
1: Yeah, he calls it light therapy. And there is some literature that supports like, yeah, you need to be outside. You need to get vitamin D into your system in order to be healthy. But I I understand the show was written in the 90s. They didn't really understand mental health very well. But it reminds me a lot of the times where someone will be like, I suffer from like clinical depression and like another person. Like ignorant of the disease will be like, oh, you just need to like ride your bike and just be outside. You'll be fine. It'll be cured right there. <laughs> right, it's right. No, like, no, no, no. It's a it's a chemical imbalance right there. I think that Maurice even states that there is two percent, two point one percent, I forgot the exact number. It was a very low amount that he said suffered from depression. Well, according to the CDC, as of 2016, 8.1% of Americans have suffered from depression. So the number is Definitely increasing, and that was in 2016, four years ago.
0: Yeah, Maurice says, uh, you know, I guess at the time of airing, 1992, there was 5 million people in the United States that are depressed. But I saw a similar, I I guess a little little bit different from the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, saying 6.7% of the U.S. adult population. So there's probably a bunch of different, you know, CDC, uh, National Institute of Mental Health. Uh, the the Percentage varies here and there, but it's still obviously increasing. Um, The reason I bring up the National Institute of Mental Health is because the statistic also came with uh, the estimate that 16.2 million U.S. adults. So going from 5 million in 1992 to 16.2 million in 2016, obviously there is a a large increase happening in uh, depression in the United States. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, basically tripled right there. It's odd that Maurice thinks that Joel suffers from depression. Because really, <laughs> Joel's just no, a, a neurotic New Yorker. That's yeah. all he is.
0: Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, I guess in Maurice's eyes, he wants to open it up to uh, – because what is his plan? It's like you do some of the year in Alaska, some of the year in like Norway or something. You know, you're you're just going around sort of on a cruise or something, but in these – higher latitudes
1: yeah there, there was a there was a joke on the daily show with trevor noah where he was actually talking about like a similar concept he was saying that it's too cold in new york right now like it was in the middle of january and he was like it's insanely cold right now and i have an idea let's send all the new yorkers Florida right now and send all the people in Florida to New York right now because I think the reason that people in Florida are so crazy is because of the heat like you'll just be like oh I'm just gonna go kill an armadillo right now and then you send them to New York you're like all right, all right calm down calm down that was that was ridiculous okay because <laughs> the cold just sobers you up super quickly oh
0: yeah nice it like yeah it gets you maybe thinking more clearly or just like puts a damper on these wild, do you know why? Uh, do you know the actual truth for why Florida Man is like uh, such a crazy news story?
1: I do actually. It's because of the Sunshine Laws, right?
0: Yeah, it's something to do with the journalism, the laws protecting uh, or or uh, making information, I think, more available to journalists. Do you know?
1: Yeah, it's. I think that you're allowed to look up any crime that's been committed by a Florida person. Like it's not protected. By any institution or by the local state government, so that's why whenever you hear about Florida man biting off the head of an armadillo or something like that, you could just Google that. Like it just pops up. Yeah. So it's not so that much that crazy
0: things are happening in Florida, uh, but it's it's that you know the access to these police reports and, and things like that are a lot more available, so it's uh, easier to... It's more public, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's kind of crazy, though. because if you, <laughs> if you apply that same logic, that means that this is happening in the other 49 <laughs> yeah. states.
0: Uh, yeah, but who knows? Maybe you're right. Maybe there is something to do with the heat and the humidity that's causing <laughs> the Florida man um, conspiracy, I guess, or whatever you would call it, <laughs> syndrome. Anyway, so Gillis, Toomey. Uh, this character is sort of established as maybe like a love interest to Ann. They have a picnic down by the stream, kind of bird watching.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really pretty scene right there. And I know that he says that there's an age difference between them, but honestly, I thought it was kind of within the same range as her. Like, I know that Ann is in her 70s, I want to say. But Gillis looks like he's in his 60s. Like It's not that much more of a difference.
0: Yeah, I didn't have a problem with their relationship, but him saying that did bring it back into perspective that Ruth Ann is, you know, I think we said this before on the podcast, at least so far, the probably the oldest person living in Sicily. That's, you know, I'm actually curious. Let's see when they were, when the actors themselves, uh, what their birthday was to see what the age difference actually was. So Jim Haney, who plays Gillis Toomey, was born in 1940. And what about Peg Phillips?
1: She was born in 1918. Wow. Okay. So that is a 22 year difference. It did not look like that in the show. Right. <laughs> so how old would she have
0: been during
1: filming? I think around 74, 73, depending on her birthday and when the filming was.
0: And so that means Toomey was like 50, 51 or something.
1: Yeah. That, that's... Yeah. I, I, I mean, okay. I mean, if we're, if we're gonna apply logic today, I mean we got we got Shelly and Holly right here. <laughs> that, that that engulfs like the entire span of it. So it, yeah, it's not that big of a difference. I was
0: reading on the like, the Reddit, the Northern Exposure Reddit, I think someone, or maybe it was on the Facebook uh, group, but someone was talking about the first time they watched the show, they thought that there was sort of like a Harold and Maud relationship going on between Ed and um Ruth Ann. Because they do have, like, they, they will, sometimes they'll have, like, dinner together. It's not necessarily romantic. You know, they're just, like, friends. But, uh, you know, because there is that relationship opposite with with Holling and Shelley. what if there was a sort of Harold and Maude relationship with Ed and Ruthanne?
1: <laughs> I think one of our guests actually right. thought that. Yeah, that was
0: the episode when they were dancing on Ann's grave. I think uh, our friend John.
1: Yeah, that was it.
0: Really great episode. The episode that we're talking about is season three, episode eight A Hunting We Will Go. But anyway, we were talking about Ruth Ann and Gillis. They have a bit of a little romance brewing here. In this scene where they're having the picnic by the stream, bird watching, they get on the conversation of sort of, I think Toomey brings it up, talking about traveling the world versus like finally settling down in the right spot. And it sort of comes to a head when Gillis and I think it's the scene where Ruthann Ruth gets the pink dress. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and I kind of have a disagreement with this scene because the reason that she denies his advance is because she calls him a romantic. And in her own words, she says that a romantic has to like keep traveling. You can they, they can never stay put right there. Whereas, I mean, if you use cliche tropes, you would say that home is wherever your loved one is. So you, you wouldn't necessarily have to stop traveling.
0: Yeah, Ruthann has like a certain idea of what a romantic is.
1: And, uh, you know,
0: it's um, sufficient but not necessary. Like it doesn't have to be both. It, oftentimes it might be one leads to the other or one is the other. But it's like a weird like Venn diagram or something. I don't know how to describe this.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's just say that she has a unique outlook on romantics.
0: Yeah, she has her own definition for romantic. And I'll back you up there, Charles. Yeah, it's not, you know, it shouldn't be taken down as hard and fast. This is what defines a romantic. But at least for Ruth Ann, I think there's maybe some truth in, at least to her, what she's feeling, you know, she feels that she would upset Gillis, you know, like he would want to travel. He has this travel in his spirit. It's everything about him, sort of the, we talk about him being a clothes salesman and that's sort of. Uh, his philosophy is personality in a lot of ways. You know, maybe Ruth Ann's not really giving him a chance. And Gillis does say, you know, next time I come by, um, I'm going to catch you with your guard down or something. You know, so the door is maybe still open, but um, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, that raises a really interesting question of like, if you know that this person, and I'm going to kick it up a notch. Let's say that like you know that they're truly in love with you right there. But you also know that if you be with them, they'll have to sacrifice some sort of portion of themselves so that they're no longer, quote unquote, 100% them. So do you do the act of being with them and removing a little bit of part of them that makes them them? Or do you try to preserve them and protect them like Ruthann did and be like, no, I know that the act of us being together will make you less than who you are. So Really, what, what is the equation that you, you're going for here? Like it, at what point do you take one side over the other?
0: Well, wow. yeah, that's, that's a really big idea. It's like should a loving relationship be you find someone you love and you want to try to help them succeed and excel? Or is it about coming together and two people uh, growing as one thing? Is it, is it like uh, two people in tandem? Sort of like growing in the same direction, but uh, still independent? Or should love be about two people becoming one or something like that? It's tricky. I don't know. For Ruthann, I guess what we're learning is there's something about Gillis that she doesn't want him to lose, like you're saying. So to preserve that, she's got to, I guess, not marry him. Yeah. Not accept his proposal.
1: I would think that maybe there are two independent things. Like you can grow together in the relationship, but you can also not grow as people. And it can also be inverted where like y'all grew as people, but the relationship didn't grow together. So
0: Yeah, I think with anything, obviously like everything in moderation, so it shouldn't be all one thing or the other. I kind of like what you're proposing. It's the idea that you are growing together, but you should still remain Two entities, I guess, that are bound in marriage.
1: Yeah, but I, I guess I can't really fault Ruthann <laughs> for this, uh, this outlook because, again, it's her own personal philosophy. If she thinks that, like, she can't deprive another individual of being them, then I have to respect that, even though I kind of disagree with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I respect Ruthann here too. I, th- I think she, she says she prefers to stay alone. She. Uh, I forget how long it's been since her late husband passed away, but she's been alone for a long time, and she's like, that's who I am. That's what I like. I like this life that I've made for myself. I'm not necessarily looking for marriage as much as she does enjoy Gillis, and I think they're going to stay friends. In fact, I think, I hope, fingers crossed, I think Gillis is a recurring character, but, Mm. oh, he is not. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, I guess (laughs) Toomey never returns, or at least we don't see it.
1: Well, that's okay. Because it ends really lovingly for them, because at the end of the episode, they kind of just have that dance together, and then it just, you know, credits come.
0: Right, yeah. Ann throws a party for Gillis, like I guess his, his leaving, like his going away party, at the Brick. And yeah, that is kind of, it's a nice, heartfelt, uh, just kind of like light moment when they're... Dancing together. I will say, I kind of really liked the kind of cheesy country music that was playing on the DVD. It's it's not the broadcast, the same as like what was playing during broadcast. They subbed this song out. Uh, so on the DVD, it's a song called "Nothing But Your Lovin' Will Do" by Dan Stewart. It's pretty cheesy, but I think it really does fit like the just the vibe of what you might expect in the brick. Um, well,
1: it's a cheesy ending, so you might as yeah. well have, have a cheesy song.
0: And it fits the and it fits the ending of the episode as well. Uh, the song that actually played on broadcast is "Don't Mind If I Do" by George Strait. And I have to say, I think I prefer just you know out of context. I like the George Strait song a little more. I wish, uh, yeah, I wish there was. I guess we gotta eventually try to get a hold of some Australian Blu-rays or something to get that broadcast music. <laughs>
1: Okay, that does it for Gillis and Ruthann. So let's rewind a little bit and get back to Joel.
0: Right. So let's see. Where did we leave off? He's not yet the coach. We know he's going to become the coach. And how does this happen? Ed comes into Joel's office, and it seems like he's hurt himself, maybe like sprained his ankle or something like that. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, so... He's kind of got some sort of twisting of the ankle, some sort of minor injury, because he's still playing at the end of the episode. Oh, that's true, yeah. He
0: still plays basketball after this.
1: Yeah, and Maurice brings him in, and it turns out that Joel knows a whole lot about basketball, and mistakenly, Maurice just thought that Jewish people didn't know a whole lot about basketball. He says something like, I thought with,
0: you know, the the fact that Jews aren't... Tall or anything, you guys just don't care about basketball.
1: I actually tried looking into that. I was like, uh, famous Jewish basketball players, like, typed into Google, and I was really hoping, I was really hoping there'd be like one really famous one, like, like Larry Bird or something like that. And uh, alas, there are famous Jewish players, but you probably but never heard of them. <laughs> I've never heard of them, and they were mostly from like the 1940s, from right. what I was able to tell.
0: Well, I think Joel says it in this episode the, the first person to score in the NBA was a Jew.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right.
0: There's that joke in Airplane when someone asks the flight attendant for a little bit of light reading, and the flight attendant says, oh, we have this uh, pamphlet on famous Jewish basketball players, and she gives the pamphlet, and we see it's just like maybe like one or two lines of text on like a small slip of paper.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that actually reminded me of another joke. Uh, Yeah. This one happened on New Girl, where there's a character named Schmidt who is very, at the beginning of the show, is very insensitive and uh, just not culturally sensitive. (laughs) And he's trying to talk to Winston, who is black, and he's afraid that he's depriving Winston of his blackness. And he says, look, look at how much our people have given to this country. You, you guys created jazz, and us, we created the management of jazz musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did that remind you of uh Jewish basketball players? Because Schmidt's a, also a Jewish person, so it was just kind of making fun of, like, Jewish people not actually contributing to jazz. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, so in this scene in Joel's office with, uh, you know, Ed's sprained ankle or what have you, Maurice is there. And this is where we really see, as you said, Joel knows what he's talking about when he's talking about basketball. Now, I may not be able to sink a turnaround fallaway jumper. I may not be able to sink two free throws in a row, but I know round ball. I know it inside now. I'm a New Yorker. That means I can tell you a box and one from a diamond and one. I can tell you a guard-guard split-off post maneuver from a low-post
2: screen maneuver. Now, I may play golf, but I know basketball.
1: Uh, did they not have a coach previously? Yeah,
0: who was coaching... I guess they didn't. I guess they would just practice. I don't think they had a coach.
1: Yeah, that's (laughs) – What? That's not even like – It's like how do we fix our problem? Well, first we need to hire someone that fixes our problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We. Well, we should also note, of course, Joel is still light loony. And I think that's partly what Maurice – I think that's really what Maurice is seeing. Obviously, the knowledge of basketball – Sort of the fandom obsession that Joel has, but his sort of fervor, his energy, he's going to be, he's going to be the one to like give direction and to really amp up the team. So yeah, Maurice just kind of like is pulling the strings here and, and sees how he can turn this into a win for the Sicilian Quarks.
1: Yeah. And speaking of being somebody that amps up other individuals, we see that there is like a third minor plot involving Shelley and Holling. And Shelly is being, I guess, the head cheerleader? They don't really establish it, but so far, she's the only cheerleader, from what I'm (laughs) able to tell in the scenes. And she's taking pride in her work about amping up the players and making sure that they're getting the motivations that they need. Uh, And she takes it really seriously.
0: Yeah, she's, I mean, well, so the the idea, the plot line with Holling and Shelly is that Shelly is always wearing her uniform, Uh, her cheerleading uniform, even at work, I guess, at the brick for for some reason. I guess she's just really into it, into that phase. And this is, I guess, I mean, yeah, it's distracting Hauling, but he's not one to complain. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean. (laughs) What more can we say about this scene? I mean, this whole, I'm trying to
0: remember, I'm looking through my notes uh, because it's been a while since I've watched this episode. But basically, we just get sort of like cutaways, little scenes with them and Hauling sort of uh, losing his train of thought or, you know, losing focus. Uh, It happens more than once in the episode, right? Where we keep cutting back to Shelly in her uniform, Hauling watching her do cheers and things like that. Asking her, there's like a scene where he asks her to keep performing cheers or something. Uh,
1: Yeah, he wants her to keep the uniform on. And... You know, at the end of the blah, line, Shelly kind of confronts him about it and says like, you know, this is really serious work and I take a lot of pride in it and I want to make sure that the basketball players can feel that they're up to the task and all you can think about is what she calls Nookie.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, more power to Shelley. I mean, I think she's right. You know, like I really do like that she takes pride in what she's doing. It's not just about... Her trying to look beautiful or feel beautiful or what other people think about it. She really has like a directive and uh, a goal, you know, to try to, in the same way, you know, as Joel is trying to whip these guys into shape. She's trying to really get the crowd going, get the team pumped up. I think I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not that big into sports. I've never really played sports, but I gotta imagine that does have some effect, like the crowd.
1: Uh, yeah. No, I think that applies universally so like let's say you were trying to do a set at a comedy club like yeah. the audience matters a whole lot if like they're really hot and bothered and they're they're just not willing to laugh at anything you don't want to perform to that crowd you want to perform to a crowd that's like a little bit lubed up they got some drinks in them and they're having a great time because the previous comic uh set you up properly so it's the same thing in sports like if you're playing in a football stadium and it's like 99% away crowd and they're all booing at you and just yelling every time you're on the offense, then you're going to play a little bit more crappier. So I, I, yeah, I think she's got the right idea. And also cheerleading is a very physically demanding sport. Like, I, I don't know why people laugh at that. They're like, Oh, you're like a cheerleader or like you laugh at male cheerleaders. Like, have you seen them? They're like, they're incredibly fit. They're just Yeah. And they're, they're like
0: really, it's like a, a crazy workout.
1: Yeah, kind of like what you're saying, there is sort of like a
0: psychological aspect to performance, whether you're a comedian or an athlete or a musician. Um, yeah, uh, the audience does play a huge role. And I guess it's the cheerleader's role to work the audience and I guess maybe work the team too, to, to inspire. But um, I did want to say this isn't really applying to Shelley and Holling, but you know we were talking about earlier how the effects that are happening to Joel sort of happen to the other people in town. Obviously, we could say that this plot line could be the effects of the light looniness on Holling is increasing his libido as it is uh, increasing Joel's libido. And uh, it's this is later on, but I saw this in my notes. I really thought this was funny. Um, when Joel finally overcomes this light looniness, he has a scene with Maggie where, you know, she's accusing him of, you know, it's like, it's funny you're not like panting and drooling anymore.
1: Flashman, three days ago you were saying how magnificent I look. At least I think that's what you were saying because you were panting and drooling at the time.
0: (laughs) Panting and drooling, huh?
1: I have witnesses. I just
0: like her delivery of (laughs) I have witnesses. Like, it's quick. And I really like the uh, chemistry, just sort of the um, how how Rob Morrow and Janine Turner are playing off each other in this episode. It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I love that line as well when she says that. But anyway, um, let's move
0: to Joel. I guess we can finish up with this. The Sicilian quirks, Joel, we're returning once again to Joel's coaching. There's a scene early on where Joel's in the brick and he gets a package, express delivered, I guess, from Maggie. And uh, it's from, I guess, his parents or grandparents. They sent like a small box. And inside of it is uh, a whistle that he used to keep. Um, and I like how Marilyn says it's it's like a totem because this is the whistle that uh, Joel will be using to coach the Sicilian quirks. It's almost like he's channeling some power through it in a way, if you think of it like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like her comment about it being a totem. I, it gives it this small little thing, significant power right there. So the whistle that Joel has, from what I'm able to tell, is a Fox 40 whistle. Mm. It's a company that predominantly makes whistles for sports. And it uses a pealess technology, which means that it doesn't have that little ball inside of it whenever you blow. And the reason that you want this type of whistle is because when you have the little P, it can be jammed by dirt or saliva, Mm. water or ice, and it produces less sound. The p one removes all of that. It has no moving parts, so it can't jam or freeze. And it can even be submerged in water and, you know, blown back immediately. Oh, we're also trying to do electronic whistles now. Have you wow. heard about
0: this? No, What what is this?
1: So at the time of the broadcast, which is in the summer of 2020, <laughs> deep in the heart of coronavirus, uh, <laughs> you don't want to be spreading your saliva everywhere. Oh, wow. So an electronic whistle resolves all those problems. So yeah. it's going to become a new thing, I think. Uh, modern these little handheld devices modern that you solutions. press. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just had to toss No, that. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, it's just no, like Continue, a s-
0: though. It's a handheld device.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a small handheld device. You press a button, makes the whistle noise. <laughs>
0: nice. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, that's pretty cool. You never think about... Uh, a whistle that has like that P inside of it, moving parts. I guess the, what do you call it, the F40? The Fox 40 Fox is the name 40. of the company. I guess it's sort of just mo- maybe like a flute or something. You know, it's carved in such a way that when you blow into it, it, it whistles. It doesn't need this moving uh, P inside of it. Interesting technology. It's crazy. So we get to see Joel in action. I like that we get to see Joel coaching in action. And, of course, we say this again and again, he's got just – barrels of energy in this episode, going at a mile a minute, like, can't stop talking. I think, well, we're, we're jumping around, but I think, like, throughout this episode, he writes, like, his own version of a childhood, uh, like, a child's, um, like, a famous, like, bedtime story or something, but he rewrites it for basketball instead of baseball.
1: Do you remember this? Yeah, he's kind of bemoaning the fact that baseball is America's favorite pastime, and he's saying, like, no, basketball should replace it, and let me... Let me re-edit Casey at the bat. Let me me turn it into a basketball version right there.
0: Yeah, he's just, I mean, obviously he he never sleeps, so he's got time to come up with plays. He rewrites uh, a childhood story to be about basketball. He gives, like, crazy monologues over the airwaves of uh, K-Bear.
1: Yeah, I think Chris and Bernard are tapped out. I think they're incredibly tired from practice, but Joel's still got energy to uh, burn the midnight oil.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Bernard in this episode, you know, recurring cast member. Uh, he's he's in there pretty early on in the episode. They're kind of beat and they're sitting in the brick. It's Chris and Bernard. They've been practicing like crazy. And uh, yeah, so where were we? I was trying to get into – I like the scenes where we see Joel actually coaching. There's a little soundbite I love. It kind of like – this will show – just how tired everyone else is in comparison to Joel, who has just limitless energy. All right, let's do some three-man weaves, no dribble. Let's go, guys, come on. I'm too tired to weave Dr. Fleshman. Coach, Ed, call
2: me coach. Right, coach. Right, I gotta go home now, Coach Fleshman. Why? I have things to do. Like what? Sleep and eat and things like that. Uh, you yeah, know, it's 10.30, Joe, you know, we're a little tired, we got lives, oh Gosh. Yeah, but we're looking pretty good though, huh? Well, you are looking better. You are definitely looking better. And
0: uh, it's also this scene when Chris, you know, talks to Joel. He says, you know, hey, hey, you got a second? Uh, I really like Joel's response. He says, hey, I got all day. You know how long that is. (laughs) (laughs) And and the scene is really cool. It's just a, uh, uh, the shot doesn't cut. It just follows Joel jumping around the bleachers and walking around the court. Um, kind of all around, so we get to see all around this gymnasium because the camera keeps panning and moving along with them as Joel is picking up basketballs and putting them in the in that giant like net, I guess, like where you put all your basketballs when you're collecting them at the end of practice. And uh, yeah, Chris just has to kind of kind of level with them.
1: You know, I, I don't think Chris explicitly says it's like, hey, you need to calm down. He doesn't really tell him like the solution to his problem. He's just kind of pointing out. It's like, hey, you're kind of getting a little amped up here because of the light looniness.
0: We really get to see, you know, the idea that Joel may have all this energy, but people around him are 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 just working overtime like crazy. But but I guess, you know, Joel is he has that fervor. He wants the Quirks to win. It's going to take him to victory.
1: I just thought it over my head, and I was trying to think of basketball movies. Yeah. And this is how I kind of know that, like, maybe baseball is a more, quote-unquote, like, America's pastime sport than basketball, because when I think of baseball, I can think of Angels in the Outfield, which is a very serious movie. On um, basketball, I can only think of Space Jam and Airbud.
0: <laughs> I wonder if it has anything to do with, like, is baseball just more inherently cinematic? What is it about baseball? I guess it's just—it really is like Ameri- the you know, the national sport. I guess, or would that be football? No, I guess you would say baseball is the American pastime, right?
1: Yeah, great I think it's because. Go ahead. My theory is that in baseball there is that the ace in a hole, which is the home run, and that's yeah. really easy to depict. I mean, in football you have the hail mary, I guess, uh, right. but. It's warm romantic because it's one person doing the home run.
0: Definitely, yeah. It's like a a very, like, that's kind of the cinematic element is. But Hail Mary, that is a good, uh, that is also a very um, dramatic scenario, you know, for, for a cinematic setting, for a story. That's true. That's true. <laughs> anyway, okay. Joel is coaching. Uh, oh, I think it's so cool. We talked about this very briefly, but they watch footage from, um the sicilian quirks game last year uh because ed actually was just like shooting film you know because he's got a camera he likes shooting film and they're actually watching film like a film reel of the basketball game last year to sort of like study their weaknesses i guess
1: how great would that have been if ed was being very artistic and instead of filming the players he was kind of like filming the goals they know, like filming like the sidelines, yeah. trying to get like a narrative, and like Joel's watching. He's like, "This is all useless footage. Like, we can't use this at all." Yeah, that would have been a. They could
0: have because this scene basically, I think it's a cool use of Ed as a filmmaker. But they could have opened the scene up with that. It's just like Ed and Ed and Joel on the cutting room floor, just looking through all this, uh, this, this footage. And Joel's like, this is all useless. I can't use any of this. And then Maurice <laughs> comes in because this, you know, this is like a two-parter scene where, where Maurice does come in at the final bit. And um, is this the – I know this is the scene where Joel asks Maurice about the um, St. Christmas Day speech from Henry V.
2: Hey, do you remember the St. Christmas Day speech from Henry V? And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here. Hold their manhoods cheap, while as any speaks that fought with us on St. Crispin's
1: Day. Gets the blood flowing, <laughs> doesn't it? Without a
0: doubt. Yeah, I really like that poetry. The idea that you miss so much when you're asleep, and Joel is just so elated and just so excited to finally be like snatching life. Uh, In front of him, like he doesn't, he's not, it's not just passing him by as he's like laying in bed asleep.
1: Isn't that a Wayne Gretzky quote? Like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. I think it is
0: attributed to Wayne Gretzky. That's like a very famous, that's just a great sports quote. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think at the end of the scene is when Maurice is trying to propose the idea of shipping people over to cure depression.
0: Yeah. He's like bringing it up with Joel. He says, what do you think about this idea? I want you to be sort of the poster child, sort of the spokesperson for this. And I think Joel is into it. I guess he's like he's very positive this entire episode, obviously. He's got the light loony-ness.
1: Yeah, he's receptive to the idea. He's like, Yeah, no, totally. I like I'm the perfect person for this because I don't need to be humble anymore. Like I coach this team of nobodies into this successful basketball team.
0: Yeah. And then how is it revealed? That Joel, I, I have it written down. Fleischman hit the wall. So how is yeah, it revealed?
1: Go ahead. They don't really reveal how he did. That. I didn't understand if that was from the car, like a car crash, and no. he hit a wall, or if he walked into a wall, or what.
0: Or I think it's figuratively. But but how does it how is it drawn out that we learn that Fleischman does just like pass out? He's asleep.
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. He's on like an operating table, his yeah. own operating <laughs> table, and they're all trying to like wake him up. And he's gone. It's
0: like we tried. We tried like poking him and like splashing water on him and like standing him up and walking him around. (laughs) It's great. I like all the ideas of like what's happening off screen. It's so funny. Um, And someone says, I think Maurice says, so much for curing depression. And then Ed says, I'm depressed. (laughs) So sad, but so funny. Great button.
1: Yeah. So then Joel wakes up three days later, I want to say. He wakes up on a Tuesday. Yeah,
0: it's. He, I have it written down three days. It's 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. I actually really like the scene after Joel wakes up and he's coming to and he tries to, it's, it's basically when he goes to talk to the, the guys on the basketball team, tries to apologize for not being there. Um, there's no music in this scene and I really like just sort of the pauses and uh, just the camaraderie here. I'd like to just play the scene.
1: I feel terrible. I am so sorry. Just tell me how I can make it up to you.
2: Make what up? All that hard work, all those hopes, your hour of need, where am I? I, I just, I let you down. Forget it. Forget it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ain't no problem.
0: How can I forget it? You, you must be in shock. I mean, denial mixed with depression, that
2: sort of thing. No way. We scored 24 points. I scored 89. That sounds like a problem to me. Well, it's all how you look at it. We scored twice as many points as last year, buddy. Twice? Uh-huh. We're on a roll. So we did good? Yes. Right. Thanks to you. How was your nap? Long. <laughs> good. Well, all right, great. Yeah. Here's to the next season. <coughs> ding. pink.
1: Next season we beat them.
0: Yeah, I love how Chris and Bernard, they both say yes at the same time and, and how everyone kind of chimes in when they, when they cheers, the, they clink their beers together. They all go ding, ding. <laughs> you know, They, all, they vocalize <laughs> it. It's, it's great. I think what I really like about this scene is sort of the feeling of like being the underdog, you know, and just being proud of scoring, you know, we may have lost, but we scored twice as many points as last year, you know, having that optimism, but also you're not like the winner. It's not like a glorious day, but you can still celebrate and have fun with your friends, I guess, as the underdog.
1: Yeah, I guess that has a lot of similar themes to the light looniness, where you're being optimistic even in situations where you normally wouldn't be optimistic, so in this case, yeah. they're like they're trying to find like the silver linings.
0: Yeah, and I guess you know maybe that's what Maurice is tapping into, or just the idea optimism, if only we could harness it, maybe having too much of it is not the answer or it, it will it will run you into the wall if you try to go too hard on it. But um, I think it's a very nice um, it's at a very nice level, you know, in this scene, very nice sort of state of mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. Balance with all things.
0: And so that brings us to the final scene. I think we had mentioned, you know, Toomey and Ruthann dancing together. It's the going away party for Gillis Toomey. Uh, this is the scene where <laughs> Maggie says, I have witnesses uh, to Joel's <laughs> panting and drooling. Um, Man, I, I just wanted to say, I think they're drinking like Gatorade or something. There's a lot of like colorful drinks. The finger foods on display here look delicious. Uh seems like a great time and playing out with the uh the cheesy country music I wouldn't have it any other way.
1: Are they having a party because of the basketball game or is there some sort of event that I'm missing out on? Well,
0: I believe I have written down in my notes Ruth Ann is throwing a party for Gillis. So I think it's like uh, his going away. But it, is, okay. it does feel celebratory. I mean, I guess the celebration was that uh picnic bench scene that we we just played the soundbite for. But this this uh it carries over the celebration into this scene. Okay. Okay. So as is typical for our podcast, we like to invite on a guest for each episode, someone who has never seen the show before typically, you know, we'd like to get uh, fresh eyes, sort of a fresh perspective. And, you know, we kind of want to see, does the show stand on its own just from one episode and uh, sort of how goofy it might be to analyze the show with no context. Sometimes the show does surprisingly well. Sometimes it's uh, a little confusing, but today's guest has never seen the show before. His name is Kyle, good friend of mine. And um, yeah, let's just toss it over and see what Kyle has to say.
2: So I just finished Northern Exposure, season four, episode two, uh, Midnight Sun. Uh, This episode is centered around the never ending sunlight that some places in Alaska experience during the spring. First thing you see is the credits rolling, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the show credits. Um, super 90s feel to it. The outfits that people are wearing, it's all very 90s. Uh, the slang they use. It's enjoyable, it's like kind of a throwback that I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. Um, I, I had no idea what this show was going to be about. And never seen it before, never even heard of it. And I was pleasantly surprised. It was a, it was a, it was a fun, enjoyable watch. Uh, I I did like Fleischman. I think he's a good character, Uh, he's he's very wordy, I don't know if it's every episode, uh, but this episode specifically, he's got a lot of things to say and very colorful language to use, Uh, he seems to be pretty happy, Um, so being happy and wordy, but he's not obnoxious, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, The next thing in the episode that just keeps, the theme that just keeps popping up is um, sex or romance, or both. First of all, uh, apparently the sun sickness that Fleischman's feeling, being new to Alaska. He says straight up he's horny, um, which I thought uh, struck me, it was very funny. And he's trying to, I guess, bed this this other character. Uh, I don't remember her name, but throughout the episode he just constantly propositions her with sex. Uh, And it, it was pretty funny. Uh, and then there's... Rawling and Shelly. Uh, they have a strange age gap going on. And, uh, I think Rawling's kinda creepy. He's older, Shelley's a bit younger. But I guess they're in a relationship? Uh, I, I don't really know, I haven't seen any other episodes, so... But the way he just, like, fawns over Shelly, um... He, creep, he creeped me out. I didn't really care for Rawling. Shelley was fun. I think her... her slang usage got a bit um just like okay enough of that (laughs) just stop with the slang but I guess she's supposed to be playing a young a young person in the 90s which I I guess they use that sort of slang um and then towards and then towards the end of the episode they actually I guess have sex together which I think that was weird I thought Shelly was like trying to put him off the whole episode but um, there you have it. At the end of the episode, uh, Rollin got laid. Shelly as well. And then there's uh, Ruthann and Gillis. Ruthann's about 75, she says. I uh, don't know how old Gillis is, but he's quite a bit younger. I'd say somewhere in his 50s. And he was pursuing Ruthann. Struck her with a, a, a sneak kiss, which I thought was strange as well. A couple of strange uh, sexual tones to the show, um, but nothing, you know, nothing offensive or anything. It's just... Kind of weird, and some of them seemed out of place. Otherwise, uh, the show, I liked the show's dialogue. It was fun. Uh, their slang was a bit corny. The dialogue, too, is a bit corny, but it was fun. It was fun to watch. I think I'll watch, I'll watch more episodes. And, uh, yeah, that's it.
0: All right, so right off the back, Kyle picks up on sort of a throwback vibe. You know, obviously the show is 30 years old. But uh, that could be a factor if you're into that 90s throwback. Uh, if you've never seen the show before, you know, you are, if you were watching it for the first time, you are going back in time, you know, to watch the show.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. It's definitely like a time machine. And for Kyle, it looked like he just picked up, from my understanding, a lot of sexual overtones. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think early on, you know, he likes, in his, in his commentary, he mentions, uh, how funny that is, you know, and I think it is pretty humorous that Fleischman is so forward, so nonchalant in approaching Maggie. But overall, it's not just Fleischman. I think by the end of his commentary, he comments again, sort of the horniness of this show. Was it a 90s thing? Was it, was that how TV was back in the day? Uh, or was it just particularly this episode, this show?
1: You know, this episode is actually pretty good for a newcomer because. You understand that the show is based in Alaska, and one of the first things you think of when you think of Alaska is the northern lights and a lack of daylight hours. So you understand that there's something a little bit off in this episode, and that's why the characters will be a little bit off. So it's not that he was watching the show and said like, oh, wow, I can't believe they spend like every single episode being sex-driven. It's like, no, 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 no. There's just something a little bit off about Yeah, that.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, he uh... – Usually someone who is watching the show for the first time usually reports that they don't particularly like the character of Joel Fleischman, that he is obnoxious, that he is, you know, all these things that he's playing counter to in this episode because he is affected by this, uh, you know, sunlight silliness or whatever they call it in the episode. And so, you know, like this is while he, while Joel typically is a very wordy character, um, he's got this positivity <laughs> And drive that uh I don't know, it's fun to watch, maybe. Yeah, yeah. What about uh what about the character of Rawling? <laughs> yeah. Rawling, I think I feel like Hall- it's such an odd character, Hauling, or such an odd character name. Halling, right? You know, I think uh I wonder where it comes from because I think there's an episode where they um they mention an author of a children's book. I think the name is JK Rawling? No, Halling. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> So it was the episode The Final Frontier, where Chris is reading the children's book Paddle to the Sea. And the author of that book is Hauling Sea Hauling. So that's why that's the only other time I've heard the name Hauling. I don't know if it's a common name, uh, what culture it is, but I just found that, you know, that's the only that's the only instance where I've heard hauling. It's such an odd name. So it's not uncommon for us, even us. I think uh well, I think one of our guests call called hauling Hollis. I, I feel like I'll, I'll I'll oftentimes I'll mix up, I'll kind of like blur Hauling and Shelley's name. Like I'll say Shelling sometimes and Holly, <laughs> you know. And I think you've done it before with, with confusing Hauling and Maurice, but it's, yeah, I don't
1: know. Hang on, can we rewind a bit? Did you say that the author's name was Hauling C. Hauling?
0: Yes, the author of Paddle to the Sea is Hauling C. Hauling.
1: Well, I guess it's a name so nice they named it twice for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really leaned into that hauling.
0: Something Kyle pointed out was sort of the 90s slang that Shelley uses. I mean, that's kind of typical for a character, but it reminded me of a post on the Northern Exposure subreddit that I saw recently, where someone was sort of complaining about how the writers of the show, maybe this was typical for the 90s as well, but the writers of the show would, you know, to characterize more youthful characters, they would, those characters would just speak with all these, this slang that, you know, does, people don't really talk like that. Um, But it's just like, I think that's kind of a trope, right? In TV, especially like, at least at that time where, you know, hip kids would talk with this slang that you would never actually hear in real life.
1: Yeah, I think that it's a double-edged sword because at the time it was airing, you can understand that, oh, like, these characters are trying to be young or it's demonstrating that they are young. But when you use pop cultural references like that, they have a shelf life of maybe a year or so before they expire. So you can see it nowadays, too. Like, if you put in a reference to, I don't know, let's say, TikTok or Harambe the gorilla, you know (laughs) that it's already outdated so,
0: you're really dating our podcast Charles by by
1: saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um no, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it definitely dates the show, puts it in a certain time and place. And I think I would say kind of the only time in recent memory that I can think when a writer used like such so much slang, but it was still um lauded by critics and stuff, maybe it was like the movie Juno. I remember um Ellen Page's character in that movie she uses a lot of slang. I guess a lot of the characters might use some weird slang, but for whatever reason that was a very lauded script uh as it should be you know it's a great it's a great film but um yeah, typically, I think that type of writing might be associated with this trope of whatever's happening in northern exposure right now when they're <laughs> when they're uh kind of using way too much slang.
1: That's actually kind of funny because maybe the success of Juno came from this off-kilt use of slang. Uh, If I remember correctly, I think Juno was on the blacklist for films to be produced. It was one of those scripts that it was being passed around in Hollywood that everyone acknowledged was good, but no one was willing to pick up the tab on it and go produce it. And possibly because of that, like you were saying, that over-usage of slang. They thought oh, it might be hard to translate, but uh, it turns out, like, it wasn't a hit. Like, it won the Academy Award, right? It did, yeah. It won the Academy
0: Award for Best Original Screenplay. But yeah, you know, maybe there's a point, kind of like what Kyle's saying, it's sort of, maybe the script seemed like it had a lot of corny dialogue. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen the movie in a while. Actually, I haven't seen it in quite a while, probably since it came out. But um, maybe it does use, like, those... Time-worn tropes of uh, just this corny slang, but maybe it kind of flips it on its head in some interesting way. Or I don't know. It, it did feel fresh, but it did feel um, still. It still felt like it had that trope of of young
1: people using weird slang.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Do you remember? Do you remember it much?
1: Yeah, I don't remember a lot from that film, other than Michael Sarah's running outfit. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah That's kind of a big uh, a big break for Michael Sarah as well. I mean. Arrested Development. uh, Super bad. Super bad. Uh, Well, anyway, back to Northern Exposure. That was Kyle's commentary. Thank you so much, Kyle, for watching the show. Glad that you're excited to see some more. Um, But Charles, that wraps it up for this episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about season four, episode three, Nothing's Perfect. Do you have any predictions for what might be coming next episode?
1: Uh, let me take a wild guess. So it's called Nothing's Perfect. Maybe, maybe it has something to do with the brick and how it's been serving its dishes. And maybe they think like the old way is the right way, like the quote unquote perfect way, but it actually isn't. They need to renovate. They need to improve. They need to change up the menu. So yeah, I'm kind give of it like a wild shot in the dark right here. Kind of retreading
0: those episodes where like Adam is in the brick. You know, I love those episodes when Adam is sort of like the guest chef and on the show all right charles well i'll see you next week all right i'll
1: see you next week northern overexposure podcast is edited by lee our theme music was remixed by matt jackson thanks to laser kitties for the podcast artwork and thanks to kyle for being our guest analyst if you'd like to write in you can reach us at northern overexposure podcast at gmail.com at northern over pod on twitter And if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash northern overexposure podcast. And of course, thank you for listening.